Welcome back to the Freight Waves Cold Chain Summit. I'm John Kingston, the editor-at-large for Freight Waves. I'm joined today by John Brewer. He's the Director of Distribution and Logistics for CKE Restaurant Holdings. If you don't immediately know who CKE is, you are almost certainly familiar with their two biggest restaurant brands, Carl's Jr. and Hardee's. I was chosen to do this interview because the organizers wanted to torture me. I have always liked Hardee's going back to my college days. But alas, here in New York, where I am, there are no Carl's or no Hardee's anyway. So we'll have to talk to John. That'll have to fill in for now. So, John, welcome to the Cold Chain Summit. Thanks for having me on, John. Glad so, to be uh, here. So John Brewer oversees the distribution and logistics operation for both Hardee's and Carl's Juniors uh, for their company and franchisee stores in all 50 states. CKE's distribution partners delivered to approximately 3,000 stores one to two times per week. CKE's supply chain network consists of 13 distribution centers, four redistribution centers, and over 300 vendors domestically. John, why don't you fill in the rest of your job better than I could just do? All right. Thanks, John. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the 10,000-foot level. Um, basically, my, my staff and I uh, manage um, working with our partners every day to make sure that our, our goods are getting delivered to our restaurants on time, intact, and for a reasonable rate. So it's a lot of moving parts, but it's 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 challenging uh, and it's every day is different. So I'm kind of in my sweet spot. And how much of that supply chain do you own versus how much do you contract with? I mean, you we, we mentioned that you have distribution centers. I don't believe you have your own refrigerated trucks. So when you go into the supply chain, what are your hard assets and where are you asset light? We are completely asset light. So your distribution centers are not owned by CKE. That is correct. And that, I guess I won't say it's a problem, but when we talked in preparation for this, uh, you mentioned drivers, uh, driver squeeze. Of course, we know there's a driver squeeze really in anybody who wants to move anything by trucks. But what I found interesting was that you said that the space in the uh, in the refrigerated, uh, not necessarily distribution centers, I guess you'd call them, but um, but the, the, the physical space has been tight too. And, you know, at first my... My uh, non-expert view of this was, well, why? We're not eating anymore. Um, I wouldn't think that that the uh, that the refrigerated sector is being impacted that much by e-commerce. So why has that tightened up so much? Uh, basically, what's happened in the markets uh, with the pandemic is a lot of people are getting their groceries uh, delivered at home now. So it, it is impacting the e-commerce from a food standpoint in that regard. Um, and even coming back out, even with us having states and, and municipalities opening up again, uh, the grocery purchasing online has not slowed down. So uh, any cold chain company that could pivot from food service to retail uh, really uh, got a really good start during the pandemic. And those that couldn't, that were challenged either you know through tech or automation or what have you, they really had to struggle because as the motels and hotels and restaurants all shuttered, they went from basically doing truckload uh, refrigerated type shipments all the way down to small package refrigerated shipments, which needed more touch points, more labor, and needed uh, the facilities to be closer to their customers. So in the past, I guess, when everybody used to buy their groceries at the supermarket, the inventory was held at the retail level. Now you're seeing more of that inventory being held in the D.C. level because that's going straight from the distribution center right down to the people's homes. Is that correct? That is correct. And what you're also seeing is uh, bringing in more locations 
closer to the to the population density. So you may have a DC on the on the east coast, and that might be your only DC, but you're actually looking at purchasing something in the in the western states to handle those customers, and you're making sure you have plenty of inventory there as well. So it's a little bit of uh, stockpiling, kind of like the consumers did when the pandemic first hit. It's the same type of situation. It's just a bigger model. Do you have any metrics you can provide? Let's say maybe the cost of storing. I mean, I don't know what the basis is, the cost of storing, you know, X tons of food in a refrigerated DC previously versus what it is now. I would imagine, I mean, the price of everything has gone up. And I would imagine that given the kind of conditions you're talking about, it's going up even more. Right. I, I don't have any specific metrics on that, but it has gone up and the and we're also in an inflationary market right now. So everything is even real estate is uh, pretty well up there. So I imagine the carrying cost is much, much higher than it has been in the past. Plus you went from more of a just-in-time model to a, a, a beefed up model, increasing your safety stock. So you're bringing in more products than you normally would at a much higher rate. Right, because in the past you could work closely, I guess, with your retail partners to operate a just-in-time uh, chain. But when you're dealing with a customer, he wants it now. So therefore you've got to keep more stocks of pretty much everything, I guess, on the shelves. Absolutely. and. It, it creates a little bit of demand supply issue for your for your companies because you're you're tied directly to the consumer. And to your point, they want it now. They want it, you know, yesterday. So they're going to be, you know, they're going to fluctuate in and out throughout the throughout the period. So forecasting that type of demand and making sure you have that inventory within your four walls becomes a bigger challenge than it has been in the past. Now, it seems to me that most of the trends you're talking about took place in other parts of the food chain and that that you as a QSR, I didn't, I never knew the term QSR until you taught me that, John, quick service restaurant, which everybody tends to call fast food. Um, how have, I guess a lot of these trends seem to be in other parts of the, the cold chain and you're kind of a, I won't say victim, but impacted by this. But what are some of the specific parts of the cold chain that have changed in your business? Uh, basically, uh, not much has changed uh, from a manufacturing distribution standpoint. Uh, we were able to, unlike the fast casual and the casual dining restaurants, we were able to stay open. So uh, we were actually um, able to continue with our partners and, and kind of help them through the rough patch. So let me ask you, uh, what, another point you made is that you had this cold chain supply system uh, and uh, suddenly you get something else dumped onto it and that's the need to store and distribute vaccines very quickly. I'm assuming that's probably eased a little bit since it's nowhere near as frenetic, but certainly for maybe those first, you know, from December through March or April, that was very much something that strained the cold chain. How big of an impact did you feel from it? Um, we really didn't as a whole. Uh, most of our, our, our partners are food service distributors uh, the biggest challenge that you saw across the country was uh, the temp requirements for these vaccines. They're extremely, extremely cold, and they lose their efficacy if they if they warm up any period of time. So you had to have equipment to be able to store these things at, at reduced temperature, and then you also had to have equipment to uh, to transport it. And in addition to all of that, you had to have the tech that would monitor the shipment throughout the supply chain along with the temperature so it it didn't uh spoil in route so it's uh it, it some uh some companies were actually air freighting freezers over from 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 asia that's that's how bad it got so it was it was interesting but uh 
to your point, I think it has leveled down a little bit. Uh, you're starting to see more people get the vaccine. So kind of that herd immunity thing going on uh, out there. So it's, it's, it's slowly coming back down. What is the structure of this industry like? We know there are some very big names in the sort of dry warehouse business that's so important to e-commerce, people like Prologis. Uh, is the refrigerated sector totally on its own? Are the, the companies that own refrigerated is kind of like that all they do and they maybe they don't own dry warehouses? Um, mostly they handle the refrigerated side of the business. It's it's kind of a niche market. Uh, we You do hear one or two of them that are kind of trying to step out into the dry. And basically what they're looking to do is be a one-stop shop for their for their food service customers is to handle the dry and the chill and the frozen. So some of them are starting to kind of venture out into that. It's it's a very lucrative uh, lucrative field. Uh, so it's, um, and it's only going to get bigger. And you mentioned that there's been a significant amount of consolidation in this business. Yes. Okay. And I mean, has, has it like, are there two or three big companies buying up everybody? Is Has it been that much of a consolidation? It's um, you, you, you've got some national players out there, but you do have one or two that are starting to to make a lot of aggressive purchases. And, and like I said, kind of a uh, enlarging their cold chains uh, footprint, but at the same time, also looking at the dry side. OK, so let's say I uh, was part of a company that was involved in logistics and I went out and I decided to build a refrigerated warehouse because this is a hot market and I want to be there. No pun intended. Um, you're a customer. You would be a key customer. What do you want from me? What, what, if somebody was going to go out and build new capacity, what would you tell them they should really focus on? Uh, if it's anything involving food, they need to do uh, be heavy food security and heavy food safety. Uh, that's going to be, uh, that's been trending for years and it's, it's extremely crucial to the whole supply chain. Uh, things have kind of calmed down now. Do you feel good about uh, the supply chain now? Yes. Yes, it's it it was it was kind of critical there in the in the beginning. Uh, every, kind of took everybody by surprise, you know, from just a supply chain standpoint. And it's 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 come back around. So it's it's supply chain has always been pretty resilient in that name in the way it does things. You mentioned consolidation. Um, are you hearing new capital coming into this industry? And do you think that new capital does need to come into this industry? I think so. Um, you know, I don't see the the e-commerce piece of the business going away anytime soon. Um, there's there's a lot of different options out there that you can use that people are looking at. Uh, some of your uh, grocery stores, some of your malls are being kind of slated maybe to retro those into a cold storage type setup. Uh, some companies are le- leveraging their current infrastructure to do kind of the the, the buy online pick and pick up and store type uh, method. So it's I think it's going to grow. Um, the fact that it, it didn't slow down once the pandemic slowed down a little bit, that kind of shows me right there that uh, the people who started doing this during the pandemic actually like having it done, uh, if nothing else, for convenience sake. How diverse is your supply chain? Uh, I, I, how many different suppliers do you get? I, I can't imagine all the things you buy. Obviously, chopped beef would be the main thing, but you also buy chicken and vegetables. Uh, it's uh, your, your list of suppliers must be massive. How diversified is it? Do you make sure that you're not tied to anybody too tightly? Well, supplier diversification is good for any company, uh, not just CKE. So uh, we, you know, like everybody else, you want to expand that and, and have that out there uh, so that you can 
kind of jump back and forth when you need to, uh, depending on what's being thrown at you, whether it be a you know a surge in sales or or, or a pandemic for that matter. So you you definitely want to uh, not keep all your eggs in one basket. I mean, we think of the uh, supply chain for a, for a fast food restaurant to be pretty much domestic. As we know, we've got backups on the ports, uh, East Coast, West Coast, all over the place. How does that affect a company that's seen as very domestic in its operations? We, it's, you know, the, the port congestion has got everybody kind of snarled, some more than others. Uh, the, the driver shortage, obviously, um, the, uh, the, the, the labor market itself is a challenge. Um, I think, I think it's supply chain as a whole is, is feeling the impacts of that and having to become kind of smarter about what they do. Uh, and, and then also asking for patience from the public uh, until we can get this resolved and get it behind us. And how much do you use multimodal, multi, you know, intermodal services to move your goods by rail? Um, not, not a lot in this business. Uh, my former job, uh, I used it quite extensively. We did over 6,000 uh, containers a year. Okay. Is there, are there, what, what are some of the supply chain issues, the cold chain issues that are unique to um, QSR? Um, wait, did I say that right? Uh, yeah, quick, QSR, quick service restaurant. Now, are there things that you have to deal with that probably people just don't think about uh, when they when they look at the supply chain issues for various industries? What are some of the things that you, you you've been in food distribution for 20 years? What are some of the more interesting aspects of QSR cold chain distribution that people don't maybe think of otherwise? Uh, I, I don't think it impacts a QSR any more than it would impact any other food service company. Um, you know, obviously the the grocery side is a little bit more uh, predictive, um, but even even the pandemic kind of turned that upside down. I mean, you saw the shelves at the grocery store that were completely empty there for weeks at a time. So I don't see it impacting us any differently than it would impact a normal food shipper customer. Okay, uh, what are your biggest issues going into this year? You we we talked about the driver shortage, uh, the driver squeeze. We tend not to like to call it a driver shortage. Uh, here at Freightways, but we all know the same issues we're talking about. Uh, how much has that been affecting you, let's say, in the last year? Has it gotten particularly worse, or is refrigerated an area generally pays higher? Uh, has that been an area that's maybe been a little bit better at, retrain, at re- retaining its drivers than, let's say, just straight drive-in? Uh, I, I think it's been a little bit better, yes. Okay, and what, what are some of the unique aspects of being a, a, a reefer driver? Do they go out on the road longer, or do they, they tend to get home at night, maybe a little more often? Um, they tend to let more home time, yes. Okay. So they, they don't go out on the road for months at a time? No. Okay. What is the, uh, I'm sure it's, the supply chain is is one that needs a lot of capital equipment inside the roof, storage equipment and transport equipment. How's the market for that? Is that yet another area of the supply chain that's got tight supplies? Um, at the end of the day, you need the driver to drive the equipment. So I think the drivers, the drivers is going to be more pressing than the equipment. Uh, the equipment, there's not an abundance of it, but at the same time, your driver shortage or squeeze, as you call it, far outweighs the equipment side of the house right now. Okay. What's the uh, landscape for automation? Um, automation on a cold chain side. Um, I think you definitely need to look into it. Uh, you see a lot of automation on the dry side, uh, especially with with the e-commerce, you know, still being prevalent. 
um, and having to go to more of a parcel type shipment, you definitely need something that can can sort those packages quickly and, and, and get them delivered as quickly as possible. So that's that's something to be I would be looking for in the cold chain side of the house. Do you think though that there are some aspects of what has to get done in the cold chain that just are going to be very tough to automate? Maybe areas there you could you could automate them easier in the dry van sector or the dry sector, but cold chain just has some unique properties that it's it's tough to automate them. Um, the, the the tech in and of itself has to be more robust because of these extreme operating conditions. I mean, you can't just you know throw a, a dry conveyor belt into a into a freezer and expect it to run properly. So to your point, I think there there is more hands on touches uh, on the refrigerated side of the business than obviously the dry. Okay. Now, last year you you participated in the cold chain summit, and you and I went back and listened to it, and you did predict this warehouse shortage. Uh, a year later, you proved to be dead on in your uh, uh, in your in your forecast. What's your forecast for next year? We, when you come back to the cold chain summit in 2022, what bold forecast do you want to make that uh, we'll, we'll check out in 12 months? I think from uh, from a from an investment standpoint, from a financial standpoint, and I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but you're going to see more people get into this into this market. Um, obviously, there's a need. So I, I think you're going to probably see some, some, you know, some more structure, more infrastructure being built out um, and being utilized. And as people start to come into the sector, uh, supply chain, whether it's it's cold supply chain or, or, or dry or whatever, always has a way of writing itself over time. It's just a matter of how long that timeline is. And, uh, you know, like you said, I've been doing this for a little bit and uh, typically, you know, with the writing itself doesn't take a long time. And usually about a year, 18 months, maybe. Uh, I think this has been a lot longer wait time because of the pandemic and the, the resurgence of the uh, the other variants that are coming out now. So this is a little bit new to me because I'm used to more of that shorter time frame to turn around. Uh, but I think, you know, we're going to weather the storm. Supply chain always does. Uh, you, you see innovation, you see new tech, you see new growth. Uh, it's, it's just all it is. It's just a matter of time for it to catch up. Well, we will have you back next year and you can talk about how the year in review and how your forecast turned out. Yeah, I'm, um, maybe I'll be two for two. <laughs> okay, okay. We want to thank John Brewer for joining us today on the Cold Chain Summit here at Freightways. John is the Director of Distribution and Logistics with CKE Restaurant Holdings, which operates the Carl's Jr. and Hardy's Chain. I enjoy the chat. I'm your host. I've been your host for this, John Kingston, the editor at large for Freight Waves. Please stick around for our next guest.